Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Kazoo Fest, Guelph's year-round new music series and annual festival showcasing emerging independent musicians, visual artists, and dancers, is celebrating their 10th anniversary this June. To mark this milestone, Kazoo is hosting a weekend of concerts and events on June 3rd and 4th, featuring album release shows by Shotgun Jimmy and Hooded Fang, plus performances by Bernice, Bry Webb and the Providers, and much more. Each event is all ages, taking place in various Guelph locations, with a special cover price of just $5 for every single show. To learn more about these events, including ticketing, scheduling, and accessibility information, visit kazookazoo.ca. Come on out and celebrate Kazoo and independent music in Guelph on June 3rd and 4th in the year 2016. Creative Control with Beach Comic. Vivian is a talented guitarist, singer, graphic designer, and engineer based in Brooklyn, New York. He's played in wonderful punk rock bands in the past, including Edsel and The Obits. His new band is called Savak and features members of Holy Fuck, Nation of Ulysses, 
the cops, and his fellow obit, Greg Simpson. Savak's debut album is called Best of Luck in Future Endeavors. It's out now via Comedy Minus One Records, and the band has started playing shows relatively close to home. Here to discuss some of these things is Sorab Habibian. Hi, Sorab. How are you? I'm well. Thanks, Vish. It's nice to have you back on the show. Yeah, great to be here. The last time you were on the show, not the best circumstances. Well, I I mean, you know, uh, evolutionary. (laughs) (laughs) The last time you were on, we were discussing the end of your last band, Obits, which that can be a tough, tough call. But I thought we handled ourselves rather well. (laughs) I don't think any tears were shed. Well, not on your end. (laughs) I'm often always crying. No one knows this. I'm often crying mid-interview. It's like, why did I choose this as a life? It's not <laughs> nothing to do with my guests. It's just how so I that's feel. That's why you, you never wear the sleeveless T-shirts. You always need <laughs> something to catch your tears. <laughs> exactly. Now let's let's begin with the origins of this band uh, of of of, of Savak. How how did this band come together? Um, I, I guess it actually first started before Obits was really over. Um, Greg and uh, Matt Schultz and I were getting together and playing on, you know, whatever random evenings we could that we weren't doing Obert's practices. And, um, you know, we were just kind of messing around, fiddling with ideas and working on little cover songs. And really, there wasn't much to it. Um, And then at the same time, I was actually playing separately with Michael Jaworski, who uh, was in The Cops and Virgin Islands. And he and our friend Ben and I were playing on like Friday afternoons and then I'll try to make this fast this is so tedious but uh, no no not at all <laughs> and then on Tuesday at 6pm <laughs> for Tuesday 6.30 to 7.30pm I uh, uh, no but basically um, I had these two separate things that were non-Obits things and then when Obits stopped um, I realized that the overlap was pretty obvious because Greg and I were doing both. So uh, it just seemed to make sense to put the two things together. And we actually already had some ideas kind of in the, you know, in the cauldron from from these practices that we've been kind of noodling around. So it actually, you know, as a thing to start, it, it wasn't completely from scratch or it didn't feel like it. Um, and it was with people that, you know, I'd been playing with. So it wasn't, uh, it didn't feel totally like, you know, the white piece of paper in front of you or something. Now, did you have downtime in Obits because Rick Froberg was getting so busy with Hot Snakes and Drive Like Jehu stuff? Yeah, I, I, mean, I can't actually remember if the Jehu stuff. It's, maybe they got that. They did that first uh, that show in San Diego, the freebie. I think they had done that, but yeah, and he had, he had sort of intermittently done Hot Snake stuff, and so and he actually also had lived for a while in Spain and was kind of you know he had a bunch of different stuff that he was doing, and so. You know, in those times, because we like playing music, we, we were continuing to do stuff. So it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't, uh, thankfully, it wasn't hard to just continue doing stuff. Okay, so, and so Savak mostly features members of Obits? Well, uh, well, Matt, uh, the drummer, Matt Schultz, uh, he actually, at the very end of Obits, he, he and Alexis were both playing drums. We did a couple of shows with two drummers, and we actually, the the material that we were writing at that point was with two drummers. Um, so, and then... Right, like the Grateful Dead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, <clears throat> uh, I guess that's timely, though, with that tribute record having just come out, right? Well, I like I like all my jokes to be topical. 
Right, 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 right. Re- reissue-based humor. There was uh, also Pavement. Pavement had two drummers. And uh, the last few times I saw Fugazi, they were playing with, with two drummers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, with... with uh, Brendan and also Jerry, absolutely. I mean, I feel like the, the two fun- drummer thing is underrated and possibly more common than we realize. Yeah, um, butthole surfers. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I, I, I don't know. I think uh, the drummer thing is funny because I think people get really sort of used to seeing bands having, you know, like a very kind of familiar lineup. Um, I think it's actually hard for the drummers. Because it's this whole thing of not wanting to step on the other person's toes. Because um, you can't have... You play drums. I mean, you know the deal. You can't have, like, two kick drums flying around all the no. time, you know. Uh, so I think it actually takes a lot of discipline on the part of the drummers. Um, and that was actually... That was neat when we were working on that that Obit stuff with both Matt and Alexis. Because they're both such great drummers, but also such different drummers. And it was really neat to see them try to figure out who was going to play what part and how those were going to synchronize. And, uh, yeah, it was cool. Okay. So, so it just was a natural once, I mean, we covered this the last time you were here or la- last time you were on the show, but all bits kind of dissolved. And then this was, as you say, these were concurrent musical endeavor so it was a pretty seamless transition yeah i mean i i i I think we literally just went from uh you know obit's practices to savak practices it wasn't you know i don't think like a nary a monday or wednesday was missed you know yeah now what was the this was a a social convening really like what is the common musical or i guess social ground within the the people in this band um well, let's see. I mean, the, the different different ones. I mean, they all ended up obviously overlapping. But like, uh, you know, I first met Matt years ago when he was in Enon, and I was touring with Girls Against Boys, and so that was I don't even know sometime in the '90s, I guess. Uh, and um, then Greg, I met Greg was actually my boss. He was like the design chief or whatever the uh, the uh, the head designer at this little boutique design place that I worked and um, actually Alexis worked there too so the three of us were all designers working together um, and Michael Jaworski was it does manage this venue around the corner from our practice space called the Bell House and uh, we would go there sometimes either before or after our practice for a beer and um, actually one night of, of an Obitz practice we were there and Rick said to Michael you know I don't know what time you finish up but why don't you come and join us and just jam with us. And so that was actually the first the first time we played with Michael was actually, it was Obits in its entirety with both drummers and Michael on third guitar. <laughs> uh, I, I think I have a recording of that practice. It's pretty hectic, but it was a lot of fun. <laughs> That's interesting that I, I didn't, I probably did know this at some point, but it's fascinating to me that at one point in Obits, every member was a graphic designer or, 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 or you know, a visual artist of some kind. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I think Matt is the only one that, but he also does. He has. I mean, he's like done like tape covers and stuff like that. So I think he he probably wouldn't. I don't know if he's ever been professionally paid to do it, but he definitely has that in him as well. Yeah, that's weird. That's. I wonder what the. I don't know what the is. Is that a thing you've discussed? Is that kinship between you? Like, would you discuss these kinds of? I mean, I think uh, it makes sense to have, you know, just a, a like a share. I mean, I never understand when, when music people are just into music and nothing else. It just seems really kind of 
you know, uh, I don't know. They're just it, to me. To me, it's like everything should feed into the other thing. So if you're into design, you know, you're interested in architecture a little bit. And if you're interested in architecture, maybe you're interested in math. And if you're interested in math, and it comes back to music, you know. I mean, I just think there's there's a these things all feed into each other, and I think just make at least internally. I don't know about musically, but at least as far as the dynamics of the personalities make for a more um, just gives you more stuff to talk about, you know. Uh, yeah, but then are you also not like arguing over the album art? No, some, actually, some not bands at all. have like not at all. Not at all. Uh, okay. and, and I mean, for example, in Obits, you know, I mean, Rick is such a great, uh, has such amazing drafting skills. So we'd be nuts if we didn't want him to do, to do the covers, you know. Um, but similarly, he would have, you know, he 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 was happy to have Greg design posters or I would design t-shirts or, uh, you know, I mean, there was always something that we were all kind of taking turns doing and it was I don't know, pretty, pretty, uh, democratic. In, in a, yeah. You know. Yeah. I can see yeah. that between you guys are, um, you seem like serious people, but also goofballs. Yes, so I imagine 100%. <laughs> that's the way that went. I, I mean, it's it, also makes for fun when you're traveling together. Cause then you can, you know, look at all the typefaces and, discuss you know which ones you prefer and blah 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 you know i mean it just uh it uh yeah it makes for, for for more interesting and sort of deeper camaraderie than just uh the dudes that you you know swap riffs with or whatever yeah yeah well it sounds so it sounds like you had three at least three musical projects going somewhat concurrently that last uh, batch of obits work sound sounds very intriguing and it's too bad that that didn't necessarily come to pass. Having said that, did any of that approach to making music in Obits, did that shift over into Savak or, or anything else? Yeah, I mean, actually, the um, there were a couple of tunes that Greg and Matt and I uh, were writing that I think initially we had intended on bringing them into the Obits fold and kind of using them as starting points for new material there but when that didn't happen I mean they were just songs that Matt and Greg and I had written so we just used them for, for, for our for our other thing uh, and so that actually but I think you know part of it was it it was happening at the same time so I think there was sort of a, you know that musical vocabulary um, was definitely shared between the two groups though though I do think Savak sounds different than Obits you know um so no it, it totally does I, I mean it totally does but I also see the through line because I followed the last band quite closely and I I always enjoyed your songs um so I can see and, and you're primarily singing are you still you no it's actually uh, Michael and I split the vocals and um uh yeah, it's actually really. That was one of the things when we started it, and it, you know, when it went from just kind of jamming on Friday afternoons to, to trying to think about, oh, you know, putting songs together, maybe playing shows, and t t taking a little bit more time with it. Um, we just talked about the idea of trying to sing as much as we could together. If you know, if one person was the main vocalist and the other would sing backing vocals or some just something, you know, just sort of trying trying to really be. Um, take advantage of all the things that we have available to us to make music as interesting as we can for us. Right. Now, 
Best of luck in future endeavors follows, we've established this, it follows the end of your last band. Is there anything pointed or melancholy about this title in relation to that circumstance? Um, I, the reason I like the title is it sounds simultaneously like something you'd find in a fortune cookie, but also a little bit like a, a, a kiss off. <laughs> it's a corporate, <laughs> you know, like, it sounds a like a corporate bit of a rejection kiss-off. letter. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Uh, so I kind of I like that quality to it because um, it, it's hopeful and yet oblique. <laughs> Does that sentiment carry through in the songwriting per se? Um, it, it's probably reflective of definitely how I see the world a little bit. I'm always hopeful and always a little bit uh, suspect. <laughs> um, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think thematically these songs on the on the record are, I wouldn't say they're dark, but you know they reflect the time that we live in, which is definitely, um, if not paranoid, because I wouldn't go that far. At least like. Uh, there's like a forlorn or like, a, I don't know, I don't want to say brooding because it's not like dark music or anything like that. But um, there's a melancholy, I think, you know, it's just uh, it's kind of like walking out on the street on a sunny day. And the first thing you see is a squashed rat at the corner or something, you know, <laughs> there's a little bit of, you know, there's there's a little bit of both in it, I guess. Do you do you uh, this might be kind of out of left field, but do you feel like underground culture kind of still exists it feels like the the second something is an underground phenomenon or rather as something becomes an underground phenomenon it used to take a lot longer for it to permeate what let's call it mainstream culture that seemed there seems to be an acceleration in the time something is subversive and relatively unknown to the time where everyone's kind of talking about it uh together do you do you know what i mean there I do. Um, I, I definitely think there's an acceleration, but I also feel like part of that is the framework for for what we're even considering. I mean, I think there's a ton of underground stuff going on that is has zero interest in in blog culture and uh, <laughs> any of that stuff, and and so. It may never find its way to uh, the larger media outlets because it's not interested in it. In the same way that, you know, when I was doing hardcore bands in the 80s and working on zines with friends, the, that other world didn't, it, it didn't even exist for us. It didn't matter that it existed. It, it was irrelevant to us. And we never even considered those things as being part of what we did. Um, and so I think that still exists. I, I'm sure. I'm sure of it. Um, I just think that, you know, for better or for worse, you and I are both part of a more of a mainstream uh, media culture. Yeah, on some level, I, I think we are. And on the other hand, I, you know, I think just I, not not for cachet. I think I just assume I'm also sort of part of an underground culture. Um, on some level as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that it's... Um, I, I, uh, for example, I think of Facebook, and I think of you know what comes through your feed every day on Facebook, and um, it's really easy, I think, to really quickly get it into this feedback loop there because you've already sort of chosen who your group of people are that you're taking information from. 
and I think that it's really it, it's it's a really nice thing to feel like you're part of something that's separate from the kind of larger, maybe more or less appealing part of our our culture. But at the same time, there's enough of us there <laughs> feeding into that that little sideline that it it, it is still. Um, the numbers are bigger than I think any of us actually think they are. Like for you know, I think of like uh, that minor threat live at Buff Hall or whatever. You look at that video; it was a big show. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. whoever whoever is in the, was in a minor threat in like 1983 or whatever. I'm sure you really felt like you were an outsider, and you were probably you know getting your ass kicked at school or whatever. But the fact that <clears throat> three thousand people show up for a show—that's a big show, you know. You're saying there's a there can be a false perception of how underground something really is. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, yeah. But that said, the thing that I really do miss, at least in my experience, and I don't want to say it doesn't exist out there, but in my experience, that that I think I, one of the things I miss is is um, bands just being bands for kind of indefinite periods of time regardless of whatever else is happening in in the world of popular music. And I feel like there is a lot of um, people who are really aspirational towards perceived success in that mainstream world that are ostensibly the kind of people making music that 20 years ago you would not associate with that at all. Hmm. So, for, for example, I will... I will remove the name of the band, but I will say that uh, I was shocked at one point when Obits got an offer from a band that um, they said, you know, do you want to play some shows with us? And I thought their music was good and it seemed interesting. And in subsequent emails, it became really obvious that this other band looking for a way to make the tour affordable was actively seeking out tour sponsorships. And uh, I pass no judgment on those who want to do that, but it seemed so out of context of the conversation that we were having, that sort of like shared cultural kinship I thought that we had. Uh, and I realized that, that that's something that has changed a lot, you know, like um, to, ha- you know, to, to, to put a scion hat on your merch table, I guess nobody cares or whatever. And that to me is, is that's always still a little jarring because um, I feel like there's no, there's no private conversations anymore. You know, everything's kind of uh, fodder for, for advertising demographics. Right, right, right. And that's, I mean, hmm, some of what you're talking about in terms of I think we've talked about time a few on a few occasions in this conversation. We've talked about temporality, what's going on culturally. I hesitate to use the word zeitgeist because I never feel like it's the right word to use. Or (laughs) I I feel like maybe it's overwrought. It's a good word to use when you're talking about the band zeitgeist. Yes, exactly. But outside of that context, I don't know if it's appropriate to to invoke that that word. But (laughs) my point is... I, I was scanning some of the lyrical fragments and even the song titles on, on the Savak record, things like Elapsed Remaining, Call It A Night, Split Decision. There's a certain urgency to these songs. And to me, when I hear some of the things that are coming out of your mouths, it feels as though you are expressing um, 
this sentiment that time feels more precious. Does that notion permeate any of these songs, per se? Absolutely. Um, I think for, for me, the second I had a child, I realized <laughs> that my time was was dwindling quickly. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, I think that there's... It becomes more and more obvious the older you get how much less available time you have and how much personally more I want to do with it, how many more experiences I want to have, how, many, how much more I want to understand myself and the, the people around me and, and the people that I choose to spend my time with. And, uh, and those things, the, the value in those things for me went up dramatically. Um, and thankfully it coincided with when Obit started. And so, you know, those experiences of traveling the world and meeting people and, and finding these, these shared uh, experiences with, um, you know, strangers, but, but also people that yet felt we had so much in common. And to quickly go back to the, the, um, the cultural thing about feeling like you're on the inside or the outside... I will say that in Europe, I've found the DIY culture there is <clears throat> really, really strong and, and really inspiring. Um, and it's much more a part of uh, adulthood than it is here. I feel like DIY culture in America is kind of a kid's thing. And then somehow, you know, I don't, I don't know about in Guelph, but uh, let's say the D.C. <laughs> area where I grew up and stuff... You know, people at a certain age, whether it was you went off to college or something, your your expectations of of your responsibility towards um, kind of these bigger concepts of success became more um, like took over more, and and so you became less involved in doing music or or putting on shows or putting out a fanzine. And I find that in Europe, it's not that case. You find you know, guys in their 60s who are still promoting punk rock shows and still cooking the vegan slop for the band when they show up. And, um, and it's cool. It's not, it's not looked down upon. It's not considered, uh, you know, as if somehow you're, you're, you haven't grown up or something. Um, and uh, I really like that. I, I like I, that. That's, and so one of the goals for this group is to try to get over to Europe um, and play as many shows over there as we can and just because I, I personally just really c- feel connected to that that infrastructure it, it it totally resonates with me it's interesting that you suggest that DIY culture might be somewhat undervalued as you as we get older in, in Western culture because I sort of feel like something I, I, I don't know that I feel the opposite of that necessarily but my wife spends a lot of time watching um, the Food Network and and the um, what's the other one? Uh, HG is that a thing? Oh, the House? one like the home improvement one. Yeah, so uh, most of the the shows that I see my wife watching are all about uh, people trying to figure out how to do things themselves, um, whether it's cooking or building a home or whatever it is. It's just like there's something like. It's obviously a little voyeur- voyeuristic. It's obviously like a weird thing where we're trying to live vicariously through other people. I mean, most television is. But there's also this sense of this is sort of instructive. Like 
Do you see that? Do you see where I'm coming from? With I, that? Do, it feels I do like- see. I totally see where you're coming from. And um, I guess I would say that because of the, let's just say the shows that you're talking about, like on the Food Network and on the HG channel or whatever it is, uh, I think those shows are geared towards people who already have the um, the very least the economical ability yeah. to take on projects to rediscover DIY the thing that's missing is teaching kids those resources as they're growing up so that it's just built into who you are it's not it's not like this novel thing like yeah I'm getting back into gardening I'm going to plant you know the idea I mean not to take anything away from those things because those are great but I feel like we're we're learning how to put value back into things that should be there from a much more I see. early yeah. and fundamental stage in our growth, you know? Like, it's almost crazy that as, a, as, as adults with children, we, we somehow rediscover how to do it yourself. I mean, those seem like really, they should be basic things. We should, we should have been doing those since we could, you know, we learned the mechanical movements of our hands and how to taste, <laughs> and, you know? Yeah, that's fair. That, that, I think that's a fair sentiment. You also mentioned that uh, when you had a, a child, we were t- talking about urgency, and when you had a child, you realized the time was more precious. Um, I have found that since having children, I am relatively more efficient in that I'm compartmentalizing time uh, with more urgency. Like I'm like, I only have a few hours to do everything before there's children in my life again. Did you find that? Absolutely. I mean, I think the 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 first way that I figured it out was sleep. I mean, because you know, when you first have a kid, the sleep cycles are just nuts. I mean, yeah. they're just yeah. crazy. And so, and you know, there are those moments where you're like, okay, I have 15 minutes. I could make a sandwich. I could take a nap. I could check my email. And you know, the first couple of times you check your email, and then you. You, you blew it because you, you neither slept nor you ate and then yeah. you're just destroyed. And so, yeah. I mean, I learned really quickly to be like, okay, I can literally sleep for five minutes right now. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I, I, I think that that's a, it's a great lesson in efficiency. You know, you can really figure out like, okay, you know what? It takes me exactly 20 minutes to take off my clothes, get in the shower get dressed again and walk out the door. So I know exactly, you know, there's no fiddling around, <laughs> you know. Well, I don't want I don't want us to sound like old codgers here, but I can't recall having that relationship with time before I had a family. Like I don't remember thinking that things were finite until maybe in my 30s. Maybe that's the natural course of of our trajectories as human beings. But I just don't remember thinking that. I, it just felt like, ah, I'll do that whenever. Yeah. And now whenever it seems more immediate and it doesn't seem to be an, enough of whenever. It seems to be, you know, <laughs> I'm not trying to be morbid. Whenever, I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm not trying to be morbid about it either. Like, But it is, I'm also coming to terms with the fact that, you know, I'm losing people of my age group. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, again, I don't want to take this in a morbid direction, but we... You just come to a place where you realize that time is this force and you really have to work with it um, because it's really only working against you. This does sound morbid, doesn't well, it? No, no. Well, all right. I'll, I'll put a little positive spin on it, which is, I mean, I, that's the same reason why 
you know, sometimes I think, okay, guys our age, you know, I'm Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. In my mid-40s, I, I think Matt is a little younger, but basically we're all around the same age. Um, sometimes it seems absurd that we would be playing kind of antiquated music at, at this point. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, like middle-aged guys with electric guitars, that just sounds so pathetic. And yet, it doesn't feel pathetic. It feels really vital. And it feels like it's kind of the only thing that, that we have that's kind of a, a common language that's our little tiny fist against the world, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And... Uh, and it's it's something that I actually yesterday I was working my my shift at the food co-op and uh, I was talking to this guy who turned out to be a musician and uh, we're like stocking the the cases with yogurt. He's like, "So uh, how old are you, man?" And I was like, "46." He's like, "Wow!" And you still go on tour? And I was like, "Sure, of course." He's like, "Man, I'm 31 and I feel old." And I just thought, like, no way, <laughs> you know, no way. I, I can't believe that, that somebody who's 31 would feel old and wouldn't want to spend hours with friends traveling, playing music. That just seems like such a delight. Why would you deny yourself that, you know? Well, to be fair, that age group, or from my, from my perspective, when you're 30, I feel like you're scrambling more for your identity whether it's a vocational identity, whether you're trying to figure out if you want to partner up. Like, that's a weird time. You're out of your 20s, and you're, you're really finally entering adulthood, whereas, you know, people, I'm, I'm 38, you're in your mid-40s. I'm in, a, in the rhythm of life, so to speak. I don't right. mean to make this sound like a Billy Joel song <laughs> or something, but I am starting to feel like I'm more, I know what I am more than I did when I was it's exhausting not knowing who you are. That's a good point. And I actually, to this guy's credit, he actually was talking about vocational changes he was experiencing. So so I think you maybe you nailed that one on the head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying that's a weird, all, all decades are weird and they all have their, you know, in your 30s then, if you're someone like me and you're starting to have a family, that's a whole other crazy skill set that you have to learn, that you just, I mean, that's a weird, it's all weird. Like, this is weird. Life is weird. You're just constantly learning and re rejecting things all the time. Yeah, and, and I think learning to adapt and figuring out, uh, you know, how, 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 like, which part of the evolutionary process is working for you, you know? Yeah. And I guess try to jettison the parts that aren't. Uh, I mean, 
Uh, I will tell you, today is the 13th wedding anniversary for my wife and me. And uh, Oh, congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, and that's something that's interesting, you know, being married for that long, which, of course, pales in comparison to how many years my parents are married and all that. But, but still, you know, 13 years, 13 years ago, I was not the specific person that I am now. Obviously, a lot of it was the same, but there's enough stuff about me that's changed. And it's, um, you know, I think it's fascinating that we... We're, we we put ourselves in, in scenarios trying to create permanence out of essentially very impermanent structures. <laughs> yeah, totally. And that's something you, with with um, a recognition of the things that I've discussed, like a recognition of time, which I don't think you necessarily have until you're confronted by it, really, in whatever way that is. Right. That's when you realize that, you know, what we're doing is is in its own way special and unique. Like we're when you survive, <laughs> when you're ma- able to make something work, that's an achievement. And yeah, and I also think you know on the on the band side of things, when you're playing with people who have that shared desire. I mean, you know, when we when we practice, we are genuinely we're there because we're working on music, but it's also because it's it's fun to hang out. You know, drink a couple beers and joke around, but then also like just really try to be like, okay, what's going to make this song better what's missing or what you know what's too happening too much that we need to take away and it's it's so satisfying to to be in a group of people who are you know there's zero ego it's just like it really is a level of camaraderie and kind of uh like co co (laughs) co-working co-working you know that's a co-worker jeez (laughs) Like a new workspace co-worker. I think uh, your band needs a thesaurus. <laughs> potentially, I think it just needs some basic grammar. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's it's a really it's it's when you you know feel like it's a group of peers. Um, and I and to kind of go back to one thing I touched on earlier, I think you know we're at an age now where a lot of our our peers out in the world are uh, maybe more successful in their careers and their work lives and it is sometimes funny to you know like meeting my kids parents uh, kids friends parents um and uh you know try to explain to them yeah i play in a band no you've never heard of it <laughs> you will never hear of it <laughs> you know it and and essentially do it to somehow explain like yes it's incredibly small and irrelevant to most of the culture that's out there and yet incredibly important to us and uh and we try to make it work like we work our hardest to make this thing possible for us i think despite the fact that there are so many bands now and so many people able to just put up whatever they've written as a song there is still a a kind of mystical quality for some people about other people who are in bands just like how what like how could you do that right so I think uh, you always have that going for you. There's some people, well, you know what I mean? Like, they're just like, oh, you're, you're doing that. Like the whole notion, I feel like when you talk to people who have no idea that that can be done, they're processing everything at once. Oh, you took the time to learn a thing. And then, oh, you go up in front of people and do it. Like there's so many, relatively speaking, there are so many courageous steps involved that I think go through people. Like they're just thinking of that. Thinking of themselves in your position, you know? Yeah, I wonder. Um, I also just think, you know, again, here around, at least where, where I live, I think that 
people who are my age don't really go out very much to do to go see bands. You know, they've they sort of you know you become a parent and you sort of shut off this other part of your uh, your experience. And for me and, and for my wife, it was really important to find ways of keeping ourselves open to that to make sure we're still whole people and our identities weren't just as parents and my argument was I think I could become a better be a better parent if I was a, you know just a better version of myself and that would be to go and to play music to to learn something to try to struggle to express that thing yeah I think makes me a better parent because I may be tired more tired on some mornings than others because the practice the previous night but uh but you know it 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 brings um and has forced me to to bring something to my son that i think is helpful well i mean thus far in in talking about the band's record we've talked about uh urgency we've talked about i think you invoked the phrase paranoia i'm also and you also said hope i don't want to forget that um, that weird stew of, <laughs> of things. But there also, to me, seems to be a fair amount of resentment, um, assertiveness in these songs. Do you have any idea where those things might be emanating from? Um, I, well, for, I, I, don't, I don't think there's paranoia. And I, I, I hope there's not resentment. Because those, those are things that I, I don't... I don't feel, or at least I don't want to feel. I mean, I'd like to think if there's any kind of anger or vitriol, it's it's coming from the point of view of frustration. But there's maybe something more like declarative about it. It's not. um, That's where I think the assertion comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Just a sense that. There, there are certain songs where they feel like that you're lyrically anyway, and even vocally. There's these, these are stands. These are, these are. This is pushback. Yeah, I definitely think so. And that's, I mean, that's something that, uh, you know, I think we all all feel. And um, you know, I, I think, like, I think of a band like Fugazi, or you know, where the response, like, the musical response and the vocal it may not always be your own lyrical voice maybe the lyrics are taking a position of an imagined voice but it it represents a a part of you know who 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 i am who the singer is um and that's somebody who's you know feels like the, the position of control has been forfeited and is upset about that and wants to reclaim that 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 control um, or at least point out the <laughs> the injustice of of the uh, the control having been swiped. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and I don't know. Obviously, your country is is going through this. Horror. I would say horrible, <laughs> horrible election cycle. Um, I can only assume some of that is making its way into what you're talking about. Yeah, you know, well, these songs were all written before before this, but I mean, I think those things are all strains of our culture here. I mean, I I will say I honestly love this country. It's it's fascinating and strange and just you know awful in so many ways, and yet so great. And I think all of its strangeness and oddity and and uh, um, 
the parts that don't quite meet up in pretty ways, I think, make it really interesting. It's sort of, you know, it's constantly... It's something, it's huge, and it's, a, it's like a giant puzzle that's trying to be solved in various corners simultaneously, and it's awkward, and it's, I don't know. that All of that comes, I, I think, comes through in our music and our, our, our lyrics. Um, as, a, as a citizen, less so an artist at this point, what are your thoughts about what's happening, what's being dredged up by what's happening? Um, because there is... There are two strains of thought, I think, that, that what's happening isn't necessarily healthy for the psyche, the collective psyche of your country. On the other hand, maybe it's bringing true feelings to light, so to speak, or at least it's a, we're being th- sort of through the distortion of the media, which frankly, your media is just horrible <laughs> and mean. not doing its job. <laughs> and yes, it is. I don't know why or when this is going to stop. There have been a few people who have pointed this out it doesn't seem to have the efficacy it should but for as a citizen as a person you say you love this country your, your country i mean how how do you feel about what's happening in terms of the conversations that are being now thrust into the spotlight like uh, is it good is it bad i'm not sure i mean I, I think i guess the problem that i have the difficulty i have in talking about it is is part of partly the problem that i think with uh things situations like this is that it, it usually ends up in these really sort of uh, binary positions. And I actually think the thing that I actually like about this country is that it's not that. It's, it's, there's a, it's every possible shade of all of those things. And, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to imagine people earnestly supporting somebody like Donald Trump. On the other hand, clearly he's sparking something in a large number of people. And it would be crazy to not try to understand what is that and and to look at it in a way, just on a, on a human level, what is it that that these people are seeing in him or what is it that they're that they're seeking that he somehow represents um, similarly on the other side you look at somebody like Hillary Clinton and uh, I I think that um, it's hard not to see her many flaws and her alliances with um, parts of our Infrastructure that I don't personally support, or I'm not eager to have uh, any more ingrained in our politics than they already are, and yet she seems like such a relief to what Trump would bring. But again, I think it it kind of bears a lot of questions more than than, than anything else. Like you know, how incredible is it that there's finally a woman in this country who is running for president and very well could win, and yet. She's got these crazy financial allegiances that are just as awful as, as Trump's, more than likely. Yeah. Um, and so, I don't know. I, I, I just think it's a difficult and fascinating and much more nuanced situation than uh, an interview with a guy in a rock band could possibly bring to it. <laughs> <laughs> no. I've had I've encountered this a few times talking to very thoughtful people. I think... Uh, some of the musicians that I uh, particularly 
align with or have an affinity for, I, I, I'd like to think they're very thoughtful people. I have not been let down by this thus far. So yet at the same time, I do get that self-effacing, like, what do I know? I'm just a musician. I think because um, culturally we have been inundated by know-it-all musicians. Right. No one wants to be Bono. No one wants to be Bob Geldof, right? You put yourself in a weird spot where, you know, artistically you might be able to express the exact sentiment you've done in a very artful way, but you feel out of place doing so in the context of a chat. Yeah, I mean, also, I think it really quickly starts to reveal uh, any, like, cracks in the wall. Like, you know, you go too far in any direction and it, the, the the person reveals that they don't actually know as much as you know what they feel you know and so i uh oh, i want to make sure fair. i personally don't err on the side of uh expressing how i feel in a knee jerk way with you know what i actually know cuz there's i mean that that's the problem too i think with the way the media works is that everything has to be in these very very small kind of conveniently packaged sound bites, right? I mean, that's what we get all day on Twitter, and that's the little ticker on the bottom of the news channels. Um, and there's not a, there's, I mean, there's no room for nuance there. Well, you, we're living in a, I think it's totally fair to say we live in an age of anti-intellectualism. And so we have these kind of, you, you will see a, a and kind of an unsubstantiated op-ed piece um, get more traction than an expert. Um, right. And I don't, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a tough time. And, and so, yeah. Did you see that Obama sp- uh, speech? It was a graduation speech that he gave? I saw clips of it, um, and I, I actually did start watching it, and then probably one of my kids wanted me to do something, and <laughs> so I had to stop. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I did not see the whole thing, but the part that I saw that I really appreciated was, you know, it, when he said, it's not cool to not know stuff. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, so I saw the soundbite version, and I, I intended to watch the entire thing because my understanding is someone asked him a question, and he, and they received a 12-minute response or something like that. Yeah, well, i got to say, for the soundbite version, I think that's a great one, you know. I mean, and I could not agree more with him. It's it's It is not cool to know stuff. And, I mean, I, I think somehow there's been this strange uh, aberration of every man, the common man, somehow has to be dumbed down, which I don't really... Why Why wouldn't you want the common man to be more than that, you know? Well, there, that, that's just the... I mean, we can go on and on about this, but that's just a... That's an elitist tactic to seem like you're not elitist. We, we saw this with Joe the Plumber. I mean, we, right. we see this all the time. Just like, no, salt of the earth. Like, I... You know, Trump does it. I'm, I'm just like you, but you're, there's, you're not. Like, uh, it's a weird... You're not, and you don't stand for anything that normal people, so to speak, do. Um, that was actually but, a thing. So my, my mother's mother, the American side, she was a rancher from Colorado and diehard Republican uh, till the day she croaked. And uh, I would get into arguments with her. I was like, you know, these people that you're supporting, you are you are literally, you're a family farmer. You're a small rancher in rural Colorado they don't care about you. Yeah, they yeah. want industrial farming. They want as many cows and as little space as possible, producing the most possible milk for the least amount of money they can. That is not what you do, you know. 
Um, yeah. But somehow they, they, they captured her version of America. Yeah, and I, it's a it's a it's a brainwashing. It's a it's a weird um, it's a weird unearthing of of just how ill informed and in some cases uneducated people are are happy to be. This again, you can't talk about this without sounding like a snob yourself somehow. But I th- I do think it's symptomatic of it. I mean, the people that that go on TV or at least are appearing on TV at the behest of some of these news networks because they just need to kill time and come up with soundbite stuff are they sound completely delusional you know they'll be talking about how much a certain candidate is always tells the truth even when confronted with a a series of inconsistencies you know and you're just you shake your head and some of us laugh and you know these are the things satire all these new satire shows are built upon but yeah i'm I'm kind of done i can't it seems like now so many people get their actual news from these uh satire shows yeah yeah, this has come up on the sh- on my show a few times now, and I, 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 I'm still on the fence about how. I mean, I think that <clears throat> one of the key things that I always think about in terms of a lot of these satire shows are critiquing the the media that, and and in terms of how things are presented, and yet they're satire shows. They're they're packaging their content to land jokes. I mean, they're yeah. just as complicit in a way of of putting together the news in a way that suits them. Um, so it's it's complicated, and I I, I think we could have uh, a longer conversation about all of these things, and maybe we we should at some point. But I I do want to point out the fact that we're talking about your band, <laughs> and your band is great. Right. And I think uh. I think some of these things end up, whether you know it or not, at least my reading of of this record, which is a wonderful record. Thanks. Um, my reading of some of it is that all of this stuff that's in the air is is coming through. Um, Definitely it is. And I, I mean, I, and I think, um, you know, we sincerely try to write lyrics that hopefully have some redeeming quality to them. You know, they're not just sung for their, you know, just the sounds that they serve in the in the melody. <laughs> I, I do want to say, like, I, I mean, I'm obviously very invested in rock culture, underground rock culture on some level. I don't feel embarrassed or ashamed of the fact that I do sometimes get my worldview can be shifted by the right song, um, the right idea. And I don't think that makes me simple minded. It just makes me um, someone who's who's receiving uh, information in different ways. You know, I, I just I mean, I think I said this to you when it came out, but there's an obits record called Moody Standard and Poor, which I, I remember writing it up and saying, you know, if we want to trace the end and beginning of something in terms of um, a pivotal moment in American history. There's a lot going on in that record that I think is useful. Um, and I think there's lots of records like that. Um, and I think it's, it's if, if you are immersed in the culture that you and I are immersed in, you're going to get information from these things. Yeah, I think that um, that's one of the things that I really appreciate having grown up in the D.C. area is just being exposed to music that where you felt like it wasn't just a song to sing along with. It was something that really hit you in a way and made you look around and ask questions and be inspired to do stuff and not in a costumey kind of way, but no. to actually um, to be a part of something, to, 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 to react. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that where you're hesitating is that I think we've 
when people put themselves on the line or try to express those sentiments in this vein or in this realm rather uh they can be accused of being dogmatic or whatever and you you know ultimately and you know what right do you have to say it? you're not an elected official you know it's weird it's weird, yeah, right. it's a weird time it's a weird uh, time but you're me. not elected at all in fact yeah <laughs> Well, um, I, I saw that you that Savak are doing just a, a handful of shows, kind of in Brooklyn, and and I think you're playing in Connecticut in June. Yeah, we're well. The so our record comes out on Friday, um, and then we're doing a record release show. And uh, actually, speaking of Fugazi, Brendan's new band, Super Silver Haze, is playing, and they're great. We played with them down in D.C., so I'm really looking forward to seeing them. And, oh, cool. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, the other Fugazi drummer, Jerry, his new band, Sunwolf, is also playing. And then this other D.C. band called Puff Pieces, which I don't know if you've heard them, but their record They were just on the show. Oh, really? Yeah, they Man, were on the I show like record. a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, they're oh, great. So good. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we're doing that, and then we're going to play in Connecticut with uh, Hamish from The Clean. I'm excited about that. Oh, nice. Um, and then I uh, have a couple other assorted shows and working on an October tour for Europe. So yeah, trying to get out there and, you know, play our music. It's fun. Well, I'm looking for any plans to come up to Canada or close to me? I'm just being I'd, I'd like to think so. Not immediately. I mean, maybe in the fall. Um, we have to figure that out, though. We don't. We don't really have all the legit paperwork to do that. <laughs> oh, I see. Uh, so, but I would love to. I would definitely love to. Well, uh, that all sounds good. Once again, Savak's new album is "Best of Luck in Future Endeavors." It's out now via Comedy Minus One Records, and you can learn more about it at Comedy Minus One dot com. Uh, so, Rob, is there a song from the new record we can go out on that uh, you might choose for us? Um. I guess, uh, er, let's go for Early Western Traders. Early Western Traders, why did that come to mind? Um, it's, well, it's kind, of got the, it's kind of the most dense of the bunch. It's got saxophones and some keyboards, and uh, I think kind of lyrically go, go, you know, touches on some of the stuff that we, that we were chatting about earlier. So. Okay, that sounds fine to me. This is Early Western Traders by Savak, and uh, I, I hope people will check out this record. Uh, Sorab, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for coming back, and best best of luck in future endeavors. <laughs> That's it. It'll be like your new sign-off. <laughs> Thanks, Vish. Thank you very, very much. <laughs>
Early Western Traders, brand new music there by Savak from their album Best of Luck in Future Endeavors. Thanks again to Sorab for being back on the program. And, uh, you know, you might have heard some uh, cell phone ringing there in the background. And that, uh, uh, that was a, a, a small family emergency going on that uh, Sorab eventually had to deal with. Everything's fine. Everyone is fine. But that's why the cell phone is ringing. And he, a uh, dutiful interview subject that he was, ignored the phone. And then when he realized what was going on, uh, he went and dealt with it. So anyway, everything's fine, but that's why the phone was ringing so much. Otherwise, good, right? That was a good chat. Uh, thank you again uh, to Sorab, and check out Savak. They're great. They are a great, great band. If you want to learn more about Creative Control with Vishkana, go to my website, vishkana.com, and there you'll learn all about how to subscribe to the show and download the show and stream the show on audioboom.com, on iTunes. Uh, you can also learn about our Facebook page, which is Creative Control with Vishkana, our Twitter, at Creative with a K, my Twitter, at Vishkana. You can also... Uh, listen to the show every Wednesday at noon Eastern Standard Time on CFRU.ca and uh, in Guelph and the surrounding region at CFRU 93.3 FM. Well, it's just 93.3 FM in Guelph. I misspoke, but you know what I mean. CFRU.ca around the world if you want to listen to the show. Wednesday's noon Eastern Standard Time. And we have a Patreon page if you want to make a monthly donation to the podcast to keep it going. Uh, please feel free to look us up on Patreon. Again, all of the info you need at vishkana.com. That's all for me. Uh, Depending on when you're hearing this, have a good weekend, or I hope your week is good, and I will talk to you very soon. Goodbye for now. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.